0: One of the most impactful memories I had as a child was my entire family preparing to move. My father was a military guy. He served, I believe it was 28 and a half years in the Air Force. And during that time, we moved quite a few times. So it wasn't unusual to get used to the idea that every couple years we'd be getting our stuff back together, packing it up. You know, trying to account for everything. That was such a unique and odd thing to go through. And I'll tell you why. But first, I guess I'll introduce myself. Hi, I'm Mario the Artisan Rogue, And this is a series of podcasts that I do that talk about, you know, things from being an artist to just things I recall from my past. And this one certainly falls into the latter. So... The whole point of this came up because recently, for the last couple of months, really for now, it seems almost embarrassing to admit this, but for a few years, probably two, three years now total, I've been consistently reassembling and pulling out and, and putting back together things to display in my studio. My art studio is in a basement, and it is completely and totally put together in a way that makes sense to me. I have had people tell me that the overall decor of my studio is a... Um, oh, how was it? I know somebody said this, and I was like, that's pretty funny and pretty accurate. A 54th Street restaurant meets a museum. If you know what I'm talking about, then great. <laughs> and um when I was a kid, I, you know, like having my bedroom or, you know, anything like that, any... Any bit of uh wherever I was, I always believed in putting things up on display like we, even at like my cubicle when I worked places where I had an office that I could do that at. I would bring things in, set them up and and like displaying them now over the years, you know as I was younger and you know put things away, stored stuff away, I had always collected everything i'm talking from comics to toys to different kinds of little collectibles. I have hobbies like you wouldn't believe. And now more recently in these past couple of years, just the last two, I've been, you know, going to my parents' house and going through things that I'd carried around for a long time and finally going, okay, here's my studio. I have an incredibly insane amount of shelving options and display options. And I've been slowly unpacking, rearranging, moving, putting things here and there. That's been kind of fun, but it's also done something that I didn't really expect. So let me go back to the beginning. Whenever we would move, there was no doubt that sometimes, you know, things would end up in storage for a long time or, you know, sometimes we ended up losing things. I remember mom mom and dad were really upset because we had lost a table, I believe, that my grandfather had made. Somehow it got lost. It went with us to Italy because we didn't want to misplace it, but then whenever we no, no, it didn't go with us to Italy. It went into storage, but then in the process of being shipped back to um, the base that we were coming to live in, we came, when we came back from Aviano Air Base, we went to Davis-Monthan Air Force Base, located near Tucson, Arizona. And in the process, I believe that table and a few other little things got lost here and there in transition. I don't know if they got left behind in the, the storage or... Sh- I have no idea. I really have no idea. So that became something of a weird thing with my parents. My family very much believes in family heirlooms and holding on to things because we believe that, you know, and this is however re- how I was raised. We believe that a lot of things that we own, you know, are oh, probably emblematic, if not representative of people in our lives that either we were friends or family with, and especially those that have gone on. So if you go into my parents' home, it is a knickknack crazy town. <laughs> I don't even have words for it. Um, because you go in there and there's things in the, in the house that, you know, belong to my great grandparents, to my grandparents, stuff like that. And because of all this stuff, you know, it all gets packed up it all gets moved and all these other things is moved and moved and moved. Well, finally, um, about the time I was 16, 17 years old, we had finally gotten our first real home. We weren't living in base housing. We weren't living in rental property. We were living in a home a real home. And it was the first time that I felt like, wow, this is really where I live. This is my home home, you know, because when you're, when you're an air force brat, you, uh, you get this idea and I don't know if it's true for everybody, but I know I certainly went through this where, you know, you don't, you get attached to the home you're in, but you also have this wild thing where you're like completely aware of the fact that, that even the people you meet, the people you're around, this is very temporary. And at any point in time, they, you know, their parents could PCS out, get orders to go somewhere else or anything could happen. And so you just kind of lived with the fact that you didn't really know people for very long, or, you know, you'd try and hold on, you know, by writing letters or maybe occasional phone calls. I have n- very few friends, if any, that I've managed to hold, um, any real length of communication with. there's like three exceptions that come to mind over the years. And, um, and I recall that, you know, every, anytime I talked to somebody who, you know, they had a primarily civilian life, they're like, Oh, that must've been so hard on you. Um, I, I don't even think that it really was all that hard. Yeah, sure. There were difficult times. I missed people that I was trying to be friendly with or had gotten to know, or who, you know, were, um, you know, a part of my life, like teachers. And I really miss my elementary school, Aviano, the building doesn't even stand anymore, but You know, those sort of things, of course, of course you do, you know, um, especially if you try your best to like, you know, ingrain and get into that zone. And if you know, you've only gotten like maybe two to three years, but we were so young when I went to Italy, I hadn't started first grade yet. In fact, I completely skipped kindergarten and ended up directly in first grade. My sister went to kindergarten, so she was only going to school half a day. And then I was. Going to school full time and then first second and third grade was all over there, and I was fairly certain oh we're going to be here for a long time and I did I fell head over heels in love with Italy with Venice with Rome with every aspect of living in that area um, but again it was a it was a sort of um, <laughs> it was a very much a curated um, aspect because you know being military meant that even though we lived off base, because at that time, I don't believe Aviano Air Base had, and I don't think they, I still don't think they do, had, um, they didn't have housing on base. So people lived off base and then you rented or you bought or whatever, and then you came on base to shop, to go to school, to go to the doctor, things like that. And, um, and during all that time, you know, we had stuff that we'd gotten over there and all these other things and, We brought some of that stuff back with us, and I remember thinking to myself here recently as I was going back through a lot of bins, some of them that I haven't opened in decades, literally, just looking back at all of these things brought back a complete and total, it was this maelstrom of thoughts, of imagery, of moments. It's like opening up an old, you know, photo album and looking through those photos And suddenly being really ridiculously, you know, cognizant of just how much time and just how many things have happened in my life. And it's really wild. Um, I'll give you guys a couple of examples here. And this is all something that, and the reason why I'm talking about this is because, um, to give you a little bit of context in all this, I had been struggling with some writing recently and just trying to kind of like, come to terms with the fact that like, as I'm putting things together and putting stuff up in my studio, um, I find things that are fairly new and things that I'm buying of course recently, but along with them is also rediscovering things that are older. And I had a lot of favorite things that, you know, I'm glad I find some things I'm kind of worried. I'm like, Oh no, did they get thrown away? Did they finally get lost somewhere? What happened? But as I'm going through and digging through these things and putting them up, suddenly my memories begin to well up with Not just people that have passed, but, you know, moments that seem just like yesterday. And I think this is, I I know that in previous episodes I've gone on and on about nostalgia. And, you know, just that whole aesthetic, you know, that whole thing, that whole mental and emotional, for lack of a better word, baggage that, you know, I carry with me. And I'm not alone in this. I know I'm not. Um, if that were the case, things like Stranger Things, the television show, wouldn't be as popular as, as it is. The whole aesthetic wouldn't be as popular, and it's um, it's unique because, or at least for me, it's a, it's a unique feeling that's coming to bear recently. Because, of course, I've always had this stuff, and when I would see it, I would really think about it. But as I get older, it really begins to hit a different way. And I had, I know we've all probably experienced this when it comes to things like music and movies. I watch The Princess Bride at least once a week. I'm not even joking. It is absolutely hands down my favorite film. I've said this many times before. I will probably die watching that film. <laughs> Just uh, of old age, I was going to die. Um, and so with that, you know, th- that's always a good thing. I think, you know, like being able to watch things and love things and and really be engaged in something like that, like a good book or any of those things that's a, that's a powerful sentiment. That's, that's a powerful thing to go through and it's comforting and it's, you know, maybe retreading and a little bit, you know, some people might deem that sad or whatever. Okay. That's fine. They're valid in their own opinion, but it's an opinion. And, um, but now, you know, it's, it's suddenly starting to hit me like how differently I watch that movie because it's interesting to see like when I was a kid, of course, I absolutely identified with Fred Savage and all of the little things they had in his room, from the computer game he was playing to the the He-Man and G.I. Joe figures that were behind him on the shelf, to the books that were around him, to the overall decor of that oh-so-iconic 80s sort of bedroom. And even if it didn't look exactly like that, everybody's bedroom that I knew sort of looked that way. Mine was certainly that completely. So... Now, seeing these things again, like, I'll give you a really good example. For any of you guys that knew what He-Man and the Masters of the Universe was, um, it was a popular cartoon, right around 1983, 84, 85, somewhere in there. Um, I had a play set when I was a kid, and it was Snake Mountain. I've always been particular to villains and darker things. And that thing is now sitting in a shelf on the far side of the studio, probably about 15 feet from me, and it's almost totally complete. When I was a kid, I used to complete. I used to keep everything as complete as possible. Yes, I beat the hell out of toys like most kids did. But I was also one of those kids that really, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends. So my friends were my toys. And it was, it was a weird thing. It, I think it's also the reason why Toy Story hit so hard too, <laughs> so many years later. But those sort of things also played into my memories. Like they were always a constant. So when I was moving, when we were going different places, everywhere else like that, or I had a really bad day, I came back to my room. And even if these things were absconded and put away like in a corner or they were in a closet or they were in storage, occasionally I would stumble back across them, see them and experience these things and understand where I were. And you know, where I was at that time, where I were, that's just a weird, oh my God. That's what I get for talking too fast and not thinking my thoughts through. And the same thing goes for, you know, just next to that. Um, and I'm not trying to turn this into a, a who's who of what's in my room. But, um, but you know, there are reasons that I kept this stuff. I was a huge Sega fanatic to, as a kid. Um, my first system was not the Genesis. It was the Sega Master System. And I remember being the only kid that had that system. Everyone else got a Nintendo Entertainment System. So they were playing Super Mario Brothers. And I was kind of glad I didn't get that because being named Mario the jokes got old really quickly, <laughs> especially having a little brother. And so, um, because no, his name is not Luigi. And, uh, so, you know, I, I have a whole section over that has all these things. And every time I hold it, I can see the scuffs. I can see the, the wear, but also like the intense care that I took to keep these things together. I could probably tell you where I got every single game in my memory. I, you know, whether our, they were brand new Christmas presents or whether they were, you know, secondhand purchases or whatever. And every single thing in this studio, I can pretty much go through and I could probably tell you where everything came from to a certain degree. Now, that is not unique. Um, Many collectors I know are like that, but it's not just toys and video games. I also have, you know, stamp collections, pressed penny collections, um, tons of things like this. But all of these things were, um, they were physical manifestations of memories and of people and places and things. One of uh, a good example of this too is, you know, and sometimes they cross reference each other in a lot of weird ways. And that's just one of the reasons they're so important to me. Out of all of the characters in Star Wars, right after Darth Maul, who is my real favorite one, is R2-D2. The main reason for this is because my first Star Wars toy as a child was this remote control that had like a little remote control and this long, thin wire that kind of screwed into the handle and ran off a 9-volt battery, and the R2 unit was radio controlled and his head could spin. He could turn. He only had two, the two legs, the middle one didn't drop down because the center carriage of the toy, I believe it takes two D cells and one nine volt. It's kind of a weird battery configuration in there. Well, somewhere is that specific RTD two somewhere in my parents' home, somewhere in storage, somewhere I have yet to find it. And I'm beginning to freak out a little bit because my f- one of the earliest memories if not the first memory of the movies was going to see star wars when we first moved to italy we had moved over there at right around the be- the end of 1980 i believe and for some reason i don't know why but i want to say that like i think by that point in time um the empire strikes back was out if i got my ears right cuz i definitely remember seeing the Empire strikes back over there. And that memory is stuck in my head. I still remember the cardboard standees on either side of the theater screen and things like that and um no they didn't have anyone dressed up or anything else like that but there was definitely a lot of fun things going on. They were something like these knockoff like little lightsaber things that were flashlights with like these little long plastic things on them. It was kind of crazy. And um so when all that was going on, I remember distinctly how much I completely lost my mind over R2D2. As a kid, I'd been obsessed with robots in general, and I'd always wanted to go into robotics. And I never did, but my love of science fiction and fantasy kind of went down that zone. So, a multitude of different robots from Robbie the Robot to like anything like that just, you know, was a compulsion for me. It was just something I was like, oh, this is so cool. R2-D2 was a culmination of it because not only was he smart, was he loyal, was he friendly, but he was also able to communicate with beeps and boops. And that was just crazy fun to me. I just love that. And, um, and so, you know, when that happened, when we came back, I remember getting this remote controlled R2-D2 my first Christmas back in the States from my uncle, my mom's brother. And I, I, I don't even remember, like, it was so weird because, um. You know, thinking back now, I remember getting it, and I was losing my mind over the batteries and everything else like that, and I still remember, like, I could close my eyes, I could tell you exactly what the box looked like, how the styrofoam felt pulling it out, um, how the, the antenna was kind of wrapped in a U over the top of R2-D2 and the, and the remote, so it always kind of leaned one way or the other, like a little little weird droopy antenna thing. It's strange, the the things that, like, pop up in your head and you remember, and so then with that, that same, you know, so that then was connected from not only from my mom and dad taking me to my first real movie that I remember, but then it's now connected, the the, the character of r 2 d this specific character, this little toy, this remote control toy, is now also connected to my mom's brother. And then it, that right there was also like connecting to a point in time where I'm like, but this was the first gift I got back when we got back into the States. and. It just all of those things start to culminate. So then in my head I'm also like, gosh, I really hope I can find that thing. Because I've got a small collection of R2D2 memorabilia over here. I have a like a, a custom Hallmark ornament that my buddy Ryan slapped my name on. And uh like other things, like I got a handmade R2D2, I've got a prototype R2D2, I've got a couple of other different things like this that are all in there, and then a lot of mass retail releases and stuff, just different things that are R2D2 based. And it's amazing to me how on that same zone, because of the little fandom that grew up around obsessing over astromech droids from Star Wars, specifically R2-D2, how many other memories begin to crop up because of that. Well, so there's two different things that end up happening to me. On one, all of a sudden this massive Rolodex in my head starts going. And a lot of it's blurry. A lot of it's not so in focus. But as, there's, as there are these physical manifestations that start to happen that you know as um oh god as marie kondo would say you know spark joy <laughs> my my entire room is practically lit because it sparks so much joy um but when that happens i'm able to kind of go back to these moments and remember these things and my family growing up was very much somebody who like there were families that did home movies my my mom was like a photographer extraordinaire she did not use pro gear she used the one camera and wielded that sucker like a katana that thing came out no matter what if there was something going to happen she was taking photos so there's pictures of like our costumes growing up which she handmade all the time to every single birthday and thing like that and they're all like stacked away in these photo albums that for some reason, I've had a little bit of reluctance to go back and look at, especially, and this is where I'm, this is a, what I'm really getting at, the whole aspect of managing memories. It's been a little bit weird to remember certain things a certain way, and then you go and you see the the photographic evidence of what it really was like, and it's a little off. Thankfully, there have been some things that I've been able to keep together. Um I did a podcast a while back specifically about my Zaxon. Shirt. It was this uh, Raglan style shirt that I wore, and kind of a sad story behind it. But if you guys get, uh, get a chance, go back, look for that. I. It's a, it's a good listen, but it's a little sad. And um, you know, there are moments like that that just they they will be forever cemented in my head. There's just no other way to rearrange that. And I've even asked you know my mom and my sister about those moments, and they've been like, yeah, no, that's what happened, <laughs> and that sort of thing. And um, but then there's other times too, whenever especially nowadays, managing these memories has become a little bit harder to do. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but for me specifically, it's just been not sad, maybe melancholy. And I'll give you a good example of this. So one thing that I started collecting recently, and I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, oh God, seriously, you collect Star Trek figures? Whatever, shut up. (laughs) I have really good memories of that because like whenever the show first debuted, I was watching that with my mom and it was, uh, it was a really good moment because my brother and my sister were there. My dad was always out drinking, but, um, or at work. Sometimes we worked really late. I shouldn't be so crappy about that, but, um, you know, we, we would have that where we would watch the next generation. And so I didn't have a lot of money whenever the toys first came out to really buy them. And luckily there's been a huge boon in those things cropping up there's like tons of them still carded still available so basically new old stock so i'm able to kind of like not just vicariously relive that point but there's been an interesting mixture in this for me and here's why i'm saying that retroism the whole um you know replay culture aspect is really big right now and one of my favorite streaming apps is pluto Almost on a nightly basis, I'm back tonight. Probably after I get done recording this, I will no doubt, you know, go to lay down for a while and probably watch an episode or two of Star Trek The Next Generation for free on Pluto. It's consistently in a syndication type of running on there that's always late night, and they'll play between eight to nine episodes sometimes of The Next Generation, which had a massive running, you know, many, many seasons. I think seven or eight seasons, something like that. I've forgotten now. But in so doing, you know, I also look to these. Like I recently picked up just sitting over here to the side, I have, um, a Borg action figure, um, two Klingons and, um, oh God, I can't remember. He was the other transporter officer. Um, I think he was Irish, uh, that was on the next generation, not Barclay, not Barclay. No, uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, those are the guys that, you know, and the, that same character went on to be on deep space nine. It'll come to me probably after this podcast is over. Um, at any rate, so you know, being able to find these things and buy them and, you know, open them up and display them and stuff like that. That's just a hobby of mine. I really enjoy that stuff. I really like that stuff. Um, but it isn't necessarily the most important thing for me either. As I'm getting older, something that as I've managed to go back through the memories and stuff that I'm going through and all this other stuff, something that has come into further focus more and more has been the idea that, you know, I look back and I see aspects of myself from back then. And going through therapy has really unlocked a lot more than what I understood. And it's become almost more important that I have these direct connections right back to my past, literally sitting in here. I mean, there's a truck sitting way on back on top of one of the shelves. And I um, might, I have a, a uh, Instagram account called 80s days gone by. And it just posts, all I post on there is just, my collection for my studio on there. Things I find, things I purchase, things that I'm unpacking, all that stuff is on there. It's kind of a trip. So if you're on Instagram and you want to follow that account too, um, it's linked through my Artisan Rogue account. Um, at any rate, that truck, it has dirt on the front grill that I never managed to get off. It had stayed in, in um, storage for so long that the dirt on the front of it is actually from a small dirt pile in Italy that was over on the side of the house that I used to play in with my little Tonka truck and, you know, a bulldozer and some other stuff. And I couldn't believe it was like that. Like I literally looked in this box that had not been opened since we'd moved back to the States. So that would have been like, yeah, it would have been 1983, 1984. It just stayed there. And I know this because of the clothing and some other stuff. in And that just stayed wrapped in this box. And there were, I don't, I can't explain this, but there were boxes like that, um, that I've talked to other people about, they're like, oh, yeah, no, sometimes we'd put something in the attic and totally forget about it or just stayed in the basement and we never got around to unpacking it. And it's kind of wild, you know, because then there's other people that absolutely unpack everything and that, you know, they they have no problem processing through this stuff. But so when when that happens, you know, and I'm able to go back through, you know, the the stuff I'm going through in therapy or whether it's good or bad, I have this these physical manifestations that, in some cases exist for me and it makes those moments all that much more tactile when I'm able to pick up an object and hold it and go, Oh yeah, this specifically, I remember this feeling like one of the things that I'm slowly piecing back together. My mom in it's a photo that I use a lot on, uh, social media, but it's me dressed up as Robin from Batman and Robin. And, um, I believe I found the boots and one of the armbands, but I'm still missing the Cape and the, uh, the actual Robin shirt, and there's that's that's a like, big plan of mine is to get that put into a small shadow box. My mom, I, she would comb through the comic books. She often said she was just looking for reference, but she started reading Batman at that time, just to see what Batman and Robin looked like, and uh, specifically Robin, and because I really wanted to be him. I I always loved the Robin, the Boy Wonder. I'm not a big DC fan at all, but I really liked. The character of Robin, you know, because you know as a young kid. You try and identify with something like that, and you you kind of hope and identify with somebody like Batman, you know, being you know this caretaker. And this is before, like you know, Frank Miller got a hold of Batman and everything went psycho, nuts, crazy, super grim, dark. But you know, those I'm I'm glad that I'm even even able to find a few components from that costume to have to hold on to and to be able to eventually showcase. The funny thing about memories is that it's amazing how much, how malleable they truly are and how much we can either reconfigure them, um, or literally, you know, reinvent them. It's something I've always wondered about. Um, I've always worried about it as well, too, because I know that there have been plenty of instances where I've recalled something completely differently and But to that point, ever since I was in my teenage years, I always wrote things down. I picked up my mom's penchant for photographing things. And so there's a lot of stuff that has survived. One of the biggest things out of that has been, though, like, and this is going to sound a little weird, but maybe some of you will understand this. I know that as time has moved on and I've held on to a lot of these things and I'm starting to unpack them and unfurl my memories and they become reignited, almost recolored back to their almost original brilliance, you know, through a combination of memories, a physical item, photographs, you name it, even other people's recollections. Right. And when those things happen, I am consistently reminded how beautiful the present can be. What I mean by that is simply that because memories are fine they really are reliving those memories in the present it's great too but it also showcases just how important it is to remember where we are and i believe me and this is coming off of a couple of days where i've struggled with some motivation and Oh, self-worth and some things like that. So when that happens, I usually end up going, I got to clean. I got to look through some stuff. I'm going to dig through some things and try and make myself feel better or just remember a time that I thought was better, which is always a weird take, right? It's kind of a strange thing because we look back to our yesteryears with rose-colored glasses, and that's not always how it really was. And um, and, and then I also, I also think to myself, too, like, you know, in, in doing all of these things, it's almost a shame that there's not a more permanent way to, um, to kind of keep those things organized in a way that you could hand that off to a future, a future member of your family or something that, you know, that they would be able to understand this encapsulated aspect of yourself. It's kind of a shame because even as I'm recording right now, you know, I'm recording this podcast and it'll stay on Podbean forever. And I have a copy that I save organized in a labeled folder on my hard drive. And one would think that in a You know, in a few hundred years, if somebody was crazy enough to be searching around randomly and stumbled across my stuff, they'd be able to listen to it. And a hundred years from now, I'd be able to tell people what it was like to be an artist, what I was feeling, if they even cared. And that's an amazing thing. But I also think to myself, like, how important is that really? There have been millions and billions of people that have lived on this planet That we know really nothing about. When we look back at history, we, you know, it's, it's crazy because I always tell people it's identical to trying to find dinosaur bones. Looking at the fossil record, we are finding exclusively enigmatic moments of animals having died under the perfect situation, whether it was in a tar pit or I I don't know. There's a perfect way to die, but you get what I'm saying to become a fossil. To become something of a relic that we could look for later, and then have the capacity to begin to understand, and un- and even then, it's more mind blowing to think there was a point in time where that didn't matter. I mean, during the Bone Wars, whenever you know people were blowing a tr- apart fossils, so their you know their uh, their contemporaries wouldn't make these discoveries before them. You know, there's a lot of history that's been erased, and I think about this, you know, like we we create and cultivate a world where everything from Facebook will suddenly remind you of something like, Oh man, like, you know, a moment with friends out and about a show you were at, um, a pet's death, um, anything like that, right. Comes up. And so we're consistently reminded of these things and consistently going down these pat you know, these paths of remembrance and it can become almost an extreme thing because, um, you know, I, I always like the idea that, you know, we should be able to remember these things and be able to keep stories alive and the memories of people alive through through stories, through telling, through experiences and through, you know, just sharing in this way. But I always wonder how important this really is to the grander scheme of things, you know, like there's been times that I've actively thought, man, am I fooling myself? Does anyone even really care? And, and that's not like a poor me scenario. So I'm not trying to have a pity party here. I'm saying sincerely, like even the greatest minds will eventually be forgotten. And I mean, at some point in time, depending on how long the human race exists, you know, names like Socrates, Einstein, they fall by the wayside. There have been plenty of people who were really important in their day and age, whether they were, you know, movie stars or inventors or other things, and they've fallen by the wayside. You could probably go speak to your average person, and a lot of them would probably remember certain, even certain people that are a little bit off the grid in a respect of acknowledgement, like maybe Tesla or something like that. Um, But then they may not know other names. They may not, you know, they may go to a museum and not understand who invented this or, you know like who invented the diesel engine and the name just went right now, as I said it, um, or who this particular painter was or this sort of thing, because we have these generalizations like Van Gogh or Picasso or, you know, um, any one of these people that were that the, that were emblematically the representations of those movements. But even then it's not like it's a deep dive into their lives. It's not like, unless you're somebody who's studying them specifically or a huge fan of their work you probably don't know the intricacies or the ins and outs about them and there's probably something romantic and almost mysterious about not knowing everything i can, can you know i can completely make a comparison with that to listening to record albums like in the 70s and 80s you know you didn't necessarily know everything about these bands they would put out these massive you know, productions on record and you would listen to them. And when they were, you know, the almost like rock opera kind of records where you would sit down and listen and you'd hear this story unfold. You didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. You didn't know who was married to who or what was going on. Not necessarily. Sure. There were some publications that covered that, but even for them, like I almost kind of wonder now if like having access to these people and their estates, or the memories, or things being put out there like documentaries and stuff—if maybe to some degree that doesn't ruin a lot of the experience. On the flip side, it can also be something where if our memories are cultivated into a particular zone where we thought, "Well, this wasn't as bad as something was," then we tend to forget things. To make a really, you know, um, stark contrast in this is to bring up the Tulsa massacre, which happened exactly 100 years ago on this day. And, um, you know, it was basically a community that was called black wall street. And, it, you know, I'm not going to go into all the depth of it, but it resulted in a lot of deaths and the news re- reported it very much as, you know, two policemen killed in riots. And these, like they focused on a lot of white people's deaths because of that time and that era and what was going on. And they really downplayed the horrible things that happened to that community. Now, we have people today, which blows my mind, that are alive, that remember this. I couldn't even believe that was for real. And I think to myself, their memories are more than important. They are treasures. They are, I hope somebody is taking the time to archive this. The biggest thing I've always found is, as I've been going through managing all these memories of mine, is sure it's a challenge for me if i feel like oh god i've i've lost this little bit of my childhood or man i don't remember where this one thing went to or whatever right that's fine the real challenge comes about whenever i begin to realize that i i have had it pretty pretty easy i i know that my life isn't anything um exemplary it isn't like you know it's not i'm not anybody famous i'm just An artist and somebody who likes to try and produce content, you know, on a limited level. And when I do that, I often think to myself like, well, as long as I get a few people to listen or, you know, join in great, you know, fantastic, but I'm not looking to change the world. I don't think these people were either having survived something like that horrible event a hundred years ago and being alive today, you do wonder I mean, that is a time capsule in a person and that does make their story far more important, far more, you know, not necessarily valid, but far more, um, important that we get it down and recorded. And because in in another hundred years, again, that sort of thing would get pushed to the side. We tend to remember things, you know, in the best of circumstances. And I can understand that. We have a very, you know, fight or flight sort of systemic aspect to our memories and our feelings and our emotions. And if that weren't true, we wouldn't be having, you know, so many people that can position themselves with revisionistic ideologies on certain things in history. It manifests very well today. And I think that the more people that can write down what they were feeling and what they were thinking and what they were experiencing... The better off we 're going to be no not everyone's you know stories will be remembered that's literally impossible, although I do wish in a perfect dare I say it, utopian world that people would have that option that they could have that option to be able to have their names and their lives and their world recorded, you know, oh not necessarily like the Truman Show. But on a more voluntary basis, where they're completely aware of it. So I guess extending the concept of you know somebody doing live streams or something like that, and just journaling and keeping that down, but also being able to enter that into you know. Although I know I'm, right was right when I say this, I know I'm going to get a lot of people that disagree with me. But if there was a way to leave that, like people leave their. Body for uh, scientific research. Because when you're gone, you're gone. Nobody really gives a damn anymore (laughs) when you're dead. And um, I think the same sort of thing could happen, you know, where if you're taking the time to put these things down, imagine the study, imagine what we would learn in centuries to come about people, especially now when the flow of information is unrivaled with how much is being stored. I have terabytes of information photos videos you name it pets that have passed on people in my life all this stuff friends family and even then i haven't scratched the surface i really haven't you know of other things i would love to get photos of and and memories of and things um i i just i haven't and um it's crazy because i always think that my brain will remain fairly infallible and that this will be easy to uh, this will be easy to deal with as I get older. You know the whole thing of like managing what I have. You know, as far as physical components that remember, you know, make me remember things to like my own memories. But I understand that journaling, like I do, writing things, producing videos, doing all these other things will hopefully give me something that I can go back to consistently. So long as the hard drives or the backup sources or whatever digital media files I create last because it is my legacy it is what I've created and what experiences I have that I want to share with people um man this really turned into me talking about my legacy I didn't mean to go off that sounds a little egocentric but I didn't mean it as such I think it comes more into the idea of I guess asking the question where do we fit in this you know how does each and every single one of us find the ability and the value in sharing what we know beyond things like TikTok or Facebook? How do we go beyond that? Those are certainly points where we do actively share those moments. And again, I've said this before, it's a very curated factor, but how do we go beyond that? What is our legacy that we leave? What is the culmination of all this education, knowledge, thoughts, biases, um, angers, loves all of these things. Where does that, what does that culminate into? What does that look like? What do we leave behind? What is our magnum opus? Because I know that for me, that is something I've really thought about. Like, no, I'm not saying I'm going to change the world as a singular person, but every single person affects this world. Whether it's simply being kind to a stranger, or telling your story of a unique circumstance you've been in, or just even telling your story from the most mundane of aspects. I remember years ago, whenever I had started on this writing project that I finished but I never published, it was all poetry. Based on interactions with people. And I was blown away by how open people would be just to have somebody listen to them. And I guess it's the same way I feel right now when people do listen to these things, you know? So, I think I've rambled on long enough for tonight, by the 40 minutes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. I am Mario the Artisan Rogue. You can find me on all kinds of social media. Just look up the Artisan Rogue on anything from tiktok to facebook to youtube to instagram uh twitter all those i think i already said twitter all these different places you can find me on there um and uh you know if you have any questions or you have any input on this feel free to leave a comment below here on podbean or email me at mario at net. i will have another episode coming up here shortly i've been really behind on a lot of these things uh, I had like this whole laundry list of subject matters I wanted to cover so I'm really wanting to get back in the swing of things and this has been nice this has also been therapeutic for me so I hope you guys are getting some enjoyment out of my out of my wild meandering thoughts. Until next time I'll see you guys.